0: I think people are getting a little uh a little sick of irony. I think they're getting a little sick of of being able to feel someone's eyes rolling behind a joke.
1: Like I the point s- of the joke is that the joke sucks. Isn't that funny? Actually it isn't, but it is because I said it isn't.
0: Yeah. I so I think anti- like, Can we all stop
1: trying to be cool for five seconds? Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain in San Diego.
0: (laughs) And you are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains.
1: Today we're going to be talking about the Weird Al movie, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, which is free to watch on Roku. Roku. We will also be reviewing the movie The Day Trippers on HBO Max for our streaming homework. And you will be doing a solo review of DC's Black Adam, which you saw, but I did not because you were gifted a free ticket to see it at um, some event you were at.
0: <laughs> Fun, Funny story about that, actually. The, the free tickets that we got were only for opening weekend. And we didn't see the fine print. And we Ooh. did not go and see it on opening weekend, so I did. I still had to pay for it like a sucker.
1: See, I feel like if you had if you had approached a cool guy at the theater, he would have he would have counted and been like, "Ah, fuck it, go in."
0: Well, y- yes, absolutely, but a cool guy at the counter doesn't exist anymore. Like y- it, it's the code was available through Fandango.com only. You they're know, they're all
1: like, cops and narcs now at the AMC's.
0: <laughs> I, hey, I'm just saying when I worked at the Triplex uh, as long as you tried to hide your snacks, I didn't care.
1: What happened to that job?
0: I got fired.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> it was not
0: snack related though. I guess it kind of was, but not for that reason.
1: Right, right. Before we get into our everything Weird owl related, go ahead and give us Five minutes on Black Adam, DC's Black Adam, starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson.
0: So Black Adam, um, for those of you who are not familiar with the character, is about this ancient Egyptian-like character, but this ancient superpower gets awakened uh, with the magic word Shazam, uh, similar to the character Shazam. And he comes to the modern world and freaked out by stuff and people are trying to kill him. So he starts blasting people with his lightning and shit like that. Yeah, so he gets the attention of the Justice Society. Uh, In this movie, the Justice Society is represented by Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge. Pierce Brosnan, played Dr. Fate. Noah Centineo played Atom Smasher. Quintessa Swindell plays Cyclone. And so that's the lineup. These super-powered heroes are deciding, well, we've got to stop Black Adam before he does some real damage. And superhero conflict ensues. Meanwhile, this other guy is, like, trying to get this magic thing that will make him a worse superpower than Black Adam. At- I don't know. It was very, you know, Magu- superhero McGuffany. Um, but the real juice of this movie is the JSA versus Black Adam. And that stuff was pretty fun. That stuff was was pretty cool. I mean, the JSA is basically like the X-Men in this movie. Like they have a jet that comes out from under a mansion and whatever. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I th- I thought that stuff worked. Superhero versus superhero. There was, you know, there were some fun set pieces, uh, some fun fights. The problem is there was a whole bunch of other shit going on around it that nobody, I mean, I didn't care about. So there's this whole thing about how this country was enslaved when The Rock was, before he was a superhero, And now it's still enslaved, but by like mercenary groups and, you know, the whole thing tries to have some, you know, like political message about conflict in the Middle East, but it's all just kind of, you know, a hodgepodge of superhero mishmash that it just mostly comes off as kind of tone deaf and, you know, it just feels like they're, trying to have this sort of political message, but without actually saying anything
1: politically. and Which is kind of hard to do in the DC universe when there's no actual geographic locations.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like you're trying to use it as a metaphor, but a metaphor for what? Is this a metaphor for Iraq? Is this a metaphor for uh, uh, Egypt? Is this a metaphor for... Israel and Palestine, you know, like it just, it just feels kind of catch all. And because of that, nothing really feels like it matters. It just is like, okay. And, you know, so you've got these non-superhero, as far as I know, non-comic characters that are just sort of shoved into it to give him some attachment to the modern world. And it's like, okay, again, I just didn't really... Just didn't really work it didn't really need all of that stuff um the actual villain is you know he's a dc cgi monster at the end of the day so is this the worst dc movie i've seen no um not by a uh not by a long shot it's not nearly as bad as you know like batman v superman and stuff like that it at least this movie doesn't try to be grimdark but it just mostly is pretty bland. Like, you know, The Rock is The Rock. He's fine. But he's just so The Rock that he never disappears into this character. Uh, Hawkman and Dr. Fate are cool. I I, I mean, the highlight of the movie is Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, who is... Dr. Fate is sort of the DC equivalent of Doctor Strange. But a lot of that stuff even feels like well, I've already seen this with Doctor Strange, but kind of better. But he he is at least interesting. And the other two characters just kind of feel like missed opportunities. Like Cyclone gets no, almost no screen time, um, except when she's using her CGI powers. And Atom Smasher, they kind of try to make him like the young rookie so that he has like a Spider-Man, Ant-Man appeal and his powers are very similar to ant-man's it's it's just the whole thing it feels like the rock wanted to be in a marvel movie but it's not a marvel movie. so and you know in the comics sure the formulas go back and forth which character was first the flash or quicksilver you know like who kind of who cares but in a movie that stuff translates a little more obviously you know i would say this is like sunday matinee at best kind of thing i i mean here's the thing this whole movie is just you know it's it's the rock doing wrestling kayfabe again it's it's just Ooh. it's his cinematic version of of the rock from wwe and he promoted it just like that and you know the, again the whole thing is kind of this showdown between the rock and hawkman and that's what i mean like if that had been all the movie was sure it's not going to be elevated material but it's not anyway and trying to do that just sort of makes the movie look dumber than it is you know give me give me the the kong versus godzilla cut of black adam and it's at least going to be more fun
1: yeah i mean i think that's you know, revealing itself more and more to be the problem with the rock in general is that he's doesn't have a ton of range. And that's usually the case for these type of action hero actors. Sure. Um, you know, they kind of do one thing and they do it. Okay. Um, yeah. Especially the ones that come from wrestling because they, that's how they learn to act. Now he's stepped outside of that a little bit uh here or there in like comedies or whatever but for the most part the rock's always the rock um and i think that shtick is it's uh starting to run on fumes
0: yeah i mean i mean especially when you know we've seen him in all these other movies as basically superhuman and it's just there's there's no stakes to this movie whatsoever you know it's Like, you can only see him get riddled with bullets that don't affect him so many times. (laughs) In fact, like, the opening scene with him, he just, like, obliterates this whole military. And then shortly after, there's kind of this weird standoff between him and these mercenaries in a town square. And it's like, yeah, they only have guns. Like, he literally blew up a tank with his mind. (laughs) Like... Right. There's no, there. there's just no sense of any tension because he's unstoppable, right? E- even when the superheroes show up, they can only do so much to him. And there's no reason that this needs to have two hour runtime. Like, just give me him and Hawkman bashing into buildings for 90 minutes and call it good. What
1: did you give it?
0: Uh... I don't know, man. Uh, just it's so average, just a C minus, I guess. Like, it's just there's Whoa. just nothing really special about this movie. But that's it's not like it's
1: like, a, a... like an F for you. <laughs> uh, like... I
0: Again, I generally grade the experience of the movie. Like, you know, uh-huh. it, it, just in general. And, it, you know, I, but I didn't hate this, but I didn't particularly enjoy it either like it's just c is average c is the the you did the assignment but you didn't do anything extra
1: and also you're being paid by disney and marvel so there's that (laughs) i fucking
0: uh... wish i wish uh i mean i liked this more than eternals if that helps
1: okay i think you gave that around the same grade but all right well good to know
0: Yeah, you're not missing out. the The power hierarchy of the DC universe has not shifted that much. Figured as
1: much. Uh, Let's go ahead and start talking about Weird Al. We're going to before we get into the actual review of the movie uh, Weird the Al Yankovic story. um, I had a segment planned here, uh, just a simple top five favorite Weird Al songs.
0: So you said Weird Al songs. Does that include like originals and his polkas, or does that is this just his parodies?
1: I I leave the floor completely open.
0: Okay, Uh, that uh, that might have changed some things.
1: Anything. This was honestly a lot harder
0: for me than I thought it would be. Uh, I think we both kind of grew up listening to Weird Al because. We were young and we were just the right age and I what I consider Weird Al's heyday of, you know, the mid-90s.
1: See, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, Weird Al has been an institution for so long that I think it really depends on when you were growing up. Because he's been active since the early 80s. Yeah. Since pretty much around the time of the birth of MTV, he sort of was conjured from it, and along with the popularization of the music video, because a lot of times for a lot of these tracks, especially as parodies, the video was almost just as important. Uh, That's been less the case over the last 10 or so years because video is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, his presentation, his look, everything was a big part of the experience of Weird Al. But I think for a lot of people, whenever you were roughly 8 to 13 years old, is going to be your peak Weird Al years, whether it was the early 80s or the mid-90s, even up till recent. And I tried to have a fair, fairly good representation of different eras, but, I mean, a lot of this is the 90s, because that's when I got into him.
0: Yeah, I didn't... Re- there was even, like, some albums that I didn't know came out. Like, I kind of checked out with Weird Al after Running With Scissors era. And, and I... he actually had, you know... He's had a couple albums since then.
1: Yeah, pretty big ones, too. Um, I know of the songs more so than than the full albums now. I mean... You know, he certain videos of his went would go viral online, and I would see them that way, just on my YouTube feed or whatever. Um, so there were there were parodies and stuff that I knew that he did post me going and buying the CD or whatever. Sure. Um, and there are actually there's a few pretty pretty recent ones on here as well, but I wonder. And before we we get into this. Are we the last generation to fully appreciate Weird Al? Because I feel like his, I, I mean his kind of wholesome-ish humor and his just silly for the sake of silly is I don't know what a, what a, what a Gen Z kids I would think they would think it's cringe because it's not. It's not like meme humor where it's seventeen layers deep in irony. I don't I mean
0: I uh, think people are getting a little uh a little sick of irony. I think they're getting a little sick of 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 being able to feel someone's eyes rolling behind a joke.
1: Um
0: right. I, I like- think
1: like the I think point s- of the joke is that the joke sucks. Isn't that funny? Actually, it isn't, but it is because I said it isn't.
0: Yeah. I so I think anti- But like can we all stop
1: trying to be cool for five seconds?
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think that you and I are the only ones that feel this way. I think uh I, I think there is I think earnestness is is making a comeback. I think that is largely uh, the reason why a show like Schitt's Creek was so successful um, is because that show was made with, you know, kind of its heart on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why show. I think that's why a lot of sitcoms uh, like Parks and Rec and The Office and stuff kind of hang into the pop culture awareness is because, you know, they're, they're built on these characters that people can attach themselves to. You can't really do that with, you know, postmodern, pure irony, uh, total deconstructionism. Like, it just, that kind of comedy is so cold. I think that Weird Al has stuck around for so long because he's always had his own niche, right? He's always just, like, done his own thing. And it's sort of been up to the rest of the world to catch up with him or not. And I think that's why he kind of goes through these phases of popularity of.
1: Yeah, he kind of comes in and out of favor. I think, you know, certain things hit and certain things don't, but he's always been consistent in in going for it. And yeah, um, sometimes he catches a zeitgeist and sometimes he doesn't. But it's, you know. I think
0: maybe we've seen him transition a little bit from strictly song parody. But, you know, he had a show before. He's done a movie before. Um, He does a lot of podcasts and stuff. So I I think he finds ways to stay relevant. Yeah, he's
1: on Comedy Bang Bang for a little while, and he's friends in the comedy world. Um, It's actually, you know, fairly interesting that he, I think when he first came out, a lot of people saw him as sort of a, a novelty or a kitsch. Kind of act, but mm-hmm. over time he has earned his comedy bona fides and now he is, is accepted as, you know, a Mark Marin or anybody else.
0: Well, sure. We all grew up listening to Weird Al. For, for a lot of us, that was probably some of our first exposure to comedy. So I, yeah. I think you can't, um, you can't understand. It was also, in a lot influence. of ways,
1: my first exposure to music because. It was, it was an easy gateway to get in through comedy, to explore all these different songs and genres and stuff. And well, yeah, because his there, parodies go to the were real so thing.
0: good. He got the music so right that, like, as a kid, you could listen to this stuff un- unashamed unashamed. You know, like. Mm-hmm. you didn't you weren't invested in the musical choice because it's weird Al, right you're yeah. listening for the the funny but then like uh, he's such a good musician and some of this stuff sticks with you and and
1: he treats a production um with respect and his band is really good he, his touring act is really good he's a very good live musician i mean it's not yeah. kids bop
0: no exactly you might notice that might influence my list here is uh you know some of the songs that stuck with me were stuff that i ended up sort of transitioning to the the real deal if you will
1: okay yeah uh go ahead give me your first one then or you know, from- uh yeah i think these think that's aren't any a for me in any particular order i don't know if they are for you but um no not really well you have um but yeah i think
0: that is a a good uh lead into my first pick which will be bedrock anthem in bedrock anthem he parodies the red hot chili peppers uh both under the bridge and give it away it it starts with you know the opening to under the bridge uh where he's (laughs) setting up that he's this man from bedrock and then it's Give it away, but to all of this silly Hanna Barbera, you know, yabba dabba do now. When I heard the real versions of Under the Bridge and Give It Away Now, I was like, oh, these are different songs. That's I was kind of disappointed because they <laughs> he, he blends them so well. He uses Anthony Keatis's sort of natural weirdness for lyricism. To his advantage, because he kind of talks like a caveman, like the the just the phrasing of things it leads itself to this kind of a, a Fred Flintstone type of character, and it's delightful.
1: Yeah, this was another one where the video was a big deal um, because it it shot exactly like the Stephanie Sunawi uh give it a uh give it away video in black and white and the you know there's um and the split screening and all of that crazy stuff and the silver paint yeah uh it it's it's done very very well and then there's all of the flintstone uh imagery all over the place too that's on my list as well so we i can actually cross that one off
0: Um, i have so many too that if if like that i think are worth mentioning
1: Uh, For my first one, I'm going to say uh, Phony Calls. This was a parody of TLC's Waterfalls, um, which I don't believe was a single off of uh, that album, but um, it was one of my favorites. I believe this was off of
0: Bad Hair Day, right?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, Yeah, you know, it's all about prank calling. And even during the bridge, they play... Uh one of the prank calls that uh uh Bart Simpson does from Moe's Tavern. It's just lyrically clever. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people for, for a lot of people, well, I don't know if it's on your list or not, but they kind of see they kind of think of Weird Al. if they only have like a cursory kind of understanding of what he does. They think of stuff like Eat It or You know, I'm Fat or whatever, you know, his it's like eighties hits which were maybe a little bit more base mm-hmm. in the style of humor. But I think in the 90s, he tried to get away from that a little bit. And his his choice of subject matter started to get a little bit more sophisticated. And, uh, you know, as with his audience was growing up a little bit, he was sort of growing up with them um, mm-hmm. as a lyricist. And I like that one. Yeah,
0: no, uh, that, that one's uh, a lot of fun okay i'm gonna throw out one from i think it was from his last album um just because i don't want i mean i could spend this whole list in in the 90s but i want to throw out something that was a little more recent um especially uh, coming off of what you were talking about him as you know sort of a clever lyricist uh i'm gonna throw out word crimes which was his parody of blurred lines by what's his name
1: Robin Thicke.
0: Yeah, by Robin Thicke.
1: featuring um, Pharrell.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'm choosing this because, uh, again, uh, he the parody is spot on, you know, um, but that's not really gonna be a question. Like, he's gonna nail it as far as that goes. Uh, but, I, again, I think it's just a very clever, very clever lyrics. It's a very mm-hmm. smart parody. Like, it's, you know, it, it's also very modern. It's about Specifically, internet culture and laziness with grammar, and that's a hard thing to make funny. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he does it really well, and it's you're also able to enjoy that catchy hook without uh, having to have a, listen to a questionable uh, rape song.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I've actually heard of teachers in you know seventh, eighth, ninth grade or whatever using the song. As a way of doing lesson plans, because sure. the lyrics go over very specific grammatical uh, rules, and I know this has like been a bugaboo of his for a while. Because I remember there was a there was a a video of him I don't know ten twelve years ago where he would stop at road signs, and he would correct the grammar on them with a marker. <laughs> 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 so this is something he's truly passionate about. Yeah, um, yeah. it's just
0: a very smart song. and Yeah, uh, it's, and it's, it's also on my well.
1: list as well, so I think it's uh, one of the better singles to come off of that, and I think that was the last album, not only the last album that he put out, uh, Mandatory Fun, I believe it was called, uh, mm-hmm. but it was also... Um, there was a huge campaign around that where he had teamed up with various different comedy video companies like Funny or Die or College Humor, or whatever, and he would release one song per format. Mm. Um, at, to the lead up of the release of the of the album, so mm, that fine. that was like uh, one of those moments where he kind of came back in a big way
0: yeah that I mean and that's what I mean like he's i think he's savvy enough that i I think he he's he can be around as long as he kind of wants to be
1: right okay um well, I'm glad our lists are fairly similar um okay uh here's one from the turn of the century. this has become one of his bigger hits, and I believe this is one of the few times where the parody he did became a bigger viral hit than the song he was parodying and it was white and nerdy the parody of chameleon airs ride and dirty this this would have been probably like 2006 2007 or so mhm uh there's mentions of MySpace in the song so i think that's <laughs> that's kind of the era we're looking at um during, like, the whole, like, bling rap era. And it's all, you know, it's sort of a nerd anthem. And he's made a few of those in his day. But I think this is sort of his, like, definitive statement on it. And um he mentioned in an interview, I think it was this Hot Ones interview, where he talked about how there was this cultural tipping point where all of a sudden being a nerd was actually cool. And so that <laughs> song kind of, like, hit the zeitgeist in a big way because I was, like, making all of the references to, you know, D&D and Minecraft and, you know, all of that uh, uh, soldering guns and, and <laughs> uh, uh, the Star Wars Christmas uh, special and all of that stuff was in the air is actually cool to like now. Yeah. Also, the, vi- the video features a very young Key and Peel
0: it does uh yeah no i think that's a good one uh i i especially if we're talking about sort of um career spanning you know that was another one of those sort of watershed moments for him Mm -hmm. oh god where do i go from here um okay i'll throw the next one i'll throw isn't a parody of a specific song but it is a parody of like a band of a sort of a genre, um,
1: a style parody.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think this was one of the first ones he did that wasn't like strictly, like strictly based off of an actual song. Um, but dare to be stupid, uh, Mm -hmm. was a parody of like Devo's style. And some of the references, some of the jokes are a little dated, but for the most part, I think it still holds up. And it's just more original. And I, I think this song also shows sort of his range as a musician. Like, he's not just taking the chords, you know. He's able to to copy a style as well as, as just play a song that's already written.
1: Right. I believe uh, Mark Mothersbaugh um, actually complimented him on the song and said that it was like... He was, like, jealous he he didn't write it himself.
0: I I mean, that's how good of a... Uh, if you just played that song to someone who was in, like, a vacuum and didn't know who Devo was and didn't know who Weird Al was, uh, mm. so, like, if you just picked a Gen Z person off the street, they probably wouldn't know it was a different band.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun one. And it was also, uh, I think, it, yeah, it probably was his first, like, big hit that wasn't based on one of his previous songs. Or based yeah. on a song that was on a radio or something like that. Um, cool. The last one on my list is The Saga Begins, which is a parody of Don McLean's American Pie. Um, but it's all about uh, Star Wars Episode One. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, I think the movie hadn't come out yet. They hadn't even really begun screening it for people yet. He, you know, wrote the song based not on seeing the movie, but just the vibe he got from reading the screenplay and imagining it, I guess. Um, and I think by the time they get to the video, the the movie had come out because the video makes direct visual references to the movie. But uh, uh, one of the reasons why this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite of his is it's kind of an anomaly because American Pie was, like, not a hit in the time that this song was recorded in like, what, 1999? Well, I mean, it was, it was on the radio. It was, like, you know, a classic rock hit. But it wasn't like it was a popular song that was being played anywhere else other than classic rock radio. Um, it's sort of out of time. So, it's mm-hmm. kind of weird to <laughs> parody... Don McLean's American Pie that many years later but it's done very earnestly and there's actually I'll say this about it I think it captures a sort of sentimentality and a uh, captures a sort of gauzy sense of nostalgia that the movie didn't capture that it was trying
0: yeah well like I'm glad you brought this one up because I, I agree like I prefer this to the movie. <laughs>
1: right. Like, I listen to the song and I actually feel a way
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: about, you know, Anakin and, and, uh, because it, you know, it's also very cleverly written where it's written from the perspective of Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's telling the story, th- even though in the movie he's not even the main character. So it was an interesting writing device to do that. But also, you realize, When listening to it and seeing the movie from Obi-Wan's perspective, that is the more emotional way to tell that story, which the movie doesn't do because it doesn't really have a center of consciousness. It's sort of all over the place. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a a good one. And uh, another one of those ones where it was just like the right song at the right time kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I do want to give – I'll just give a couple uh, quick honorable mentions um, to Yoda. Sure. His parody of Lola, another Star Wars parody.
1: Of a folk um, song. So, I, in a way, I think the American Pie thing was sort of like making reference – like meta reference to that a little bit. Yeah.
0: <sighs> it's kind of – it's too bad he didn't do one for the new trilogy.
1: He still could.
0: That's true. I, I, I It's probably a little too late now. <laughs> but whatever. Um, uh, yeah, so Yoda, um, <laughs> Cavity Search, which is a, uh, parody of, um, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Something, Thrill Me.
1: The U2 song, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and it kind of fucking rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, Headline News, which is a parody of the Crash Test Dummies, mm-mm-mm-mm, mm-hmm. That's uh, a good has- one. Dated, but in a in a fun kind of time capsule-y sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course I think we have to at least give a shout out to Amish Paradise. Um, sure.
1: So here's the deal that, with, so, and it's probably on your short list as well, here's the deal with Amish Paradise and Smells Like Nirvana. Uh-huh. Um, more specifically Amish Paradise. I don't think Gangster's Paradise is a very good song. And I don't think it ages very well at all now. I think it oh, I think interesting. it aged like milk. When you hear the song now, like the big choral uh uh chorus and everything. I mean R.I.P. coolio and all that, but you know, like it's 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 very much a product of its time. So it's even Amish Paradise is a little hard to um to kind of get into, because okay. I just think about how kind of campy Gangster's Paradise is in today's milieu.
0: Um, so, I, I'll agree with you on Smells Like Nirvana. Sm- uh, I, I disagree with you on Amish Paradise. I think it... I,
1: I think... The lyrics are great.
0: It took on a life of its own. Sure. Uh, and and I would yeah, much rather so listen I, I, to
1: Amish Paradise than than Gangster's Paradise.
0: I will well, that, that. that's what I mean. It was one of those ones that kind of like white and nerdy, right? Where it was like such a parody and su- such a good parody and such a big hit that it kind of overshadowed the original.
1: Yeah. And my only beef with uh, Smells Like Nirvana, because I think there's things about it that are kind of inspired. I okay? like the, the idea that it's all about how you can understand the lyrics. It's um, mm. a, a funny way to, to talk about that band, especially at that moment. But yeah, and you know maybe I'm just a music snob or whatever. But I just think the production on that is just so weak in compared to, you know, the the big Butch Vig production of the Nirvana track. That it I, it I just think sounds being a little bit of a music kind snob. of thin and and tinny and cheap in comparison. If the production was right. there, like if he re recorded it, and actually I think for the weird soundtrack he did re-record a bunch of stuff so maybe that's on there but um yeah especially
0: some of his uh early stuff he definitely re-recorded yeah
1: uh but yeah i, I uh, think uh after that point he upped his game uh tenfold by you know in the in the studio all right
0: all right i'll give you that uh okay but i that wasn't even the last song i wanted to mention i just wanted i felt like you know it needed its shout out mm-hmm. uh my last favorite song by weird al is uh jurassic park which is a parody of macarthur park yeah <laughs> by richard harris yeah it's just one of, it, it's to me it's so funny uh, because that song is such a deep cut. Like, when was the last time you... I I don't think I... I don't know if I've ever heard the
1: original fucking song. <laughs> I have, but I, um, it's like you'd have to look it up. Like, you if you sat in your car all day and drove around on classic rock radio, you probably wouldn't hear it.
0: Exactly. It's such a weird pull yeah. of a song. It, just everything about that is so absurd. Parroting one of the most obscure Rockets of all time with one of the biggest summer blockbuster movies of all time. It, it just, it doesn't seem like an obvious pairing, uh, but something about it just works. And I find just delightful.
1: Okay. Um, the only two I want to give a shout out for were style parodies. Um, uh, he did one called my pancreas, which is in the style of sort of, Smile era Brian Wilson Beach Boys, um, which <laughs> is very very specific, like you know, the chamber pop, like big orchestra horn sections and and you know all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's done really really well, and uh, he and it's like a whole. It's actually it's very um, they might be giants ish because um, it's all about okay. like what the pancreas does for the body and all of that. It's like a. Like borders on being like educational, um, <laughs> and uh, he did a, a style parody of Nine Inch Nails called Germs, which is like basically a, a little bit of closer and a lot of bit of terrible lie. Um, uh, and it's 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 a lot of fun, but it's uh, maybe a, it's like so close to being a uh, just a straight parody of terrible lie. But all right, all right.
0: What's up, List Nerds? Force 5 is a show about movie-related top five lists, hosted by me, Blacklist screenwriter and ex-video store cinephile Jason Kleberg. I have a new guest on each week, and the guest gets to pick the topic. Past guests have included film directors, screenwriters, actors, critics, comedians, rappers, artists, and other podcasters. Love or hate our picks, you're guaranteed to walk away thinking, what would be on my list? Search Force 5 wherever you get your pods, or head to force5podcast.com.
1: Let's talk about the movie when we first announced the casting of Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, I made the joke, well why didn't they get Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad because he was originally Uh-oh. in the funnier die video which was which was like a big studio biopic, like a serious studio biopic about Weird Al where where he was, uh, you know, a drug addict and like had these this huge rise and fall and whatever and hit on all the cliches. And uh, you laughed at me because you had no idea what I was talking about. But I have since learned that the origin of this movie happening was because of that Funny or Die video. I guess that is li- – Oh, absolutely. His live shows, they play that like before he comes out on stage and fans were asking him, well, when are you going to make the movie? And he kept saying, like, it's just a sketch. It's just for fun. Like, <laughs> there's not going to be a movie. <laughs> but then finally there was enough of clamoring for it that he's like, fine, I'll do the fucking movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is produced, I guess, in part by Funny or Die, which is a company owned by Will Ferrell. Uh, and it's directed by Eric mm-hmm. Apple, who originally directed the short. Um, and it's also been uh, director on things like Silicon Valley, um, Son of Zorn. He's done a lot of TV stuff, and uh, this is exactly what that sketch was alluding to, which is it's like a a big serious uh, music biopic, a rock and roll biopic, a uh, kind of a fictionalized version of Weird Al. Well, very much a fictionalized Weird Al. Uh, biopic where it takes some things that were true like he grew up in Linwood and he got his first uh, squeeze box from a door-to-door salesman and he was um, he met his band in college but then from there pretty much is entirely fiction (laughs) Um, you know a quick uh, rise to fame where he uh, becomes romantically entangled with with Madonna who is in secret, trying to use him to get the weird owl bump on her songs. Um, and is trying to manipulate him and he becomes a, a, a severe alcoholic. And it also, uh, entangled into the, the gangs, um, with Pablo Escobar who has a weird fascination with him. So obviously it, uh, becomes its own thing very quickly. Uh, and this this is a who's who of comedy. Everybody, anybody, and everybody who had a minute to throw on a costume and a wig is in this movie, um, playing a <laughs> bit part of some sort. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it. It you know it's it's kind of like uh, UHF in in its approach to humor. It's very Weird Al. He's a co writer on this, and uh, it. Lends to his humor and that sort of silliness and absurdity but there's a little bit of kind of a a walk hard style parody uh involved here as well
0: yeah yeah i mean (laughs) i mean i'm laughing at just the description of this movie uh sure i i also thought this movie was very very funny i i mean i of course Of fucking course, like, he wouldn't just do a normal biopic. Like, I I love that, yeah, it's, to, honestly, to tell the Weird Al story, it is more genuine to have a batshit, bonkers, goofy fucking movie like this than to actually Mm. do, like, a genuine biopic. Like, this tells you who Weird Al as a person is way more Than something like Bohemian Rhapsody would have, you know. Like I just right, so brilliant and just again, he's always been so good at parody. He's always been so good at tone and and mimicking, you know, something a moment in a song, and you know they play this movie kind of the same as you would as a, a Weird Al song goes. You know, like at the beginning it's very recognizable. It's very, oh okay, we know what this is, we know what we're getting. And then slowly as, as it sort of moves forward and gets your attention as a parody, then it can kind of spiral into its own thing. And it can, Ooh. you know, it can become as silly as Weird al wants to be. That's how he writes his songs for the most part. Of course his movie would be the same.
1: Yeah, I mean it totally makes sense. And there was a part of me while watching this cuz I think at some point I knew that it was a comedy, full-on um broad comedy prior to seeing this, but I think, you know, learning that and then starting this, there was a part of me that kind of wished we could get like the sincere biopic
0: after ah, that. We got beats. the behind the music, man.
1: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there was that. And you, there's plenty of interviews you can listen to where he goes into all of the things. Um, and there, he's lived a very interesting life in and of itself. Um, there is that version of that movie that I think it would still be interesting to see. But I did have a lot of fun with this version, too, which also I was reminded a lot of, um, of the Tenacious D Pick of Destiny like the first half of that when they go over the, the band's history, which is clearly not how the band really met each other or mm-hmm. where they're really from or anything like that. Um, and we also get a Jack Black uh, cameo in here as uh, Wolfman Jack, who damn near steals the movie.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Th- that whole <laughs> sequence is just yeah, absolutely pool incredible. Yeah, where you have literally every comedian who's ever done comedy in, in one room and they're all doing these like weird impressions and stuff. But man, it just goes to show how good Jack Black is, because it's literally all of my favorite comedians of all time, all in the on the screen at the same time. And he still manages to just be a cut above. You know, he's just
1: so... full attention.
0: Exactly. He just knows how to do it. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, and it's very much the Jack Black version of that character. But it's based on like a real, you know, uh, uh, DJ from the Mm -hmm. late 70s and whatever. But, um, yeah, the way it's... Every Everything about that scene. I mean, you, you have Conan O'Brien as, as, uh, uh, Andy Warhol and, uh, Yorma from the Lonely Island as, as Pee Wee Herman. And it, it goes on and on and on. I mean, like I said, anybody that Weird Al could call in for a weekend came in at some point during this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at the like, um, 15 minute mark where he's auditioning for the like local LA punk band. Uh, what was that? Like skunk fart or something like that, <laughs> that, that he's rejected uh, from uh, something. I, I think it was skunk barf S- skunk barf. That's correct. Yeah. Where he's trying to uh, audition with an accordion to join their band. And he's rejected. Um, it took me a few seconds, but I look off to the side of one of the characters who's not speaking. and I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's Jeremy Boehm from Touche Amore. Why is he in this movie? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. And uh, who, play, who plays Madonna in this? It's,
0: oh, it's uh, Evan Rachel Wood.
1: Yes, who's probably the second billing in this movie. Um, And their their chemistry together is a lot of fun, her and Radcliffe's and And Madonna, as a person in real life, does not seem like the type of person to have a huge sense of humor about herself i wonder what she thinks about this i mean i know that her and weird Al are on good terms like they've never like beefed or anything and i think that they're like kind of friendly but
0: um i I think that's kind of
1: uh it's not victoria jackson
0: (laughs) yeah or um or even uh coolio who you know was uh, uh, who did not like Amish Paradise at all. And until later, right. he, he finally came around to it. Um, but I think there was t- kind of this tendency for, you know, Weird Al people. You either got the joke and had fun with it or would be kind of, you know, there were some people that were kind of like suffering artists about it. And, uh, you know, like you can't make fun of my art or whatever. Sure. Yeah, um, it would
1: always invariably make you look like the square.
0: Exactly. In exactly situation. like you're just hang out for the party. That's yeah. all you have to do. I think it's such a fun caricature. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. You'd have to have pretty sour grapes to get upset about something like he, the reason she is the character she is is because she was the. Is the cultural icon that she is, you know, the joke doesn't work with just about anyone else because she was literally the like the, you know, the biggest person on the planet. Like
1: besides Michael Jackson, who it's interesting how they tiptoe around that.
0: Yeah. Yes. They'd mention him by name because I I guess. Yeah, there's the whole
1: thing about him actually being the uh, eat it. Was written before Beat It and then Michael Jackson ripped him off, which is a funny <laughs> comedic concept. Um, One anyway. of my
0: favorite jokes of the whole movie.
1: Yeah. Because at first I was like, wait a minute, what are they doing here? Because I thought they could have been like a, it could have been like a way, a workaround to like talk about Michael Jackson because in a lot of ways their careers are so tied together. Sure, because yeah. every new Michael Jackson thing always like he hit new levels of fame through parodying Michael Jackson but he, he's sort of a touchy subject these days mm-hmm. but I thought that they, they handled that really well and in a really funny and weird way <laughs> yeah I think that's the
0: thing that I want to emphasize the most about this movie is just how funny it is mm-hmm. it's, it is weird out but if you're into his type of humor at all, it's laugh for laugh, one of the funniest movies I've seen in years.
1: Yeah, that might be a little strong. I I'm, I think it is pretty funny. I think it's a lot of fun. There's not I mean, there's
0: not that many comedies anymore.
1: Like No, I know. Yeah, we're we're we have slim picking these are the type of movies they used to pump out all the time. And yeah. they'd be just as competitive as any action movie that weekend um that is no longer the case now they go direct to, to roku but it might have had a uh a small theatrical run like west coast east coast kind of thing but um because i uh one of the the end credit song i don't <laughs> know if you watched. did you watch all the way through i did yes okay because that's a, also a one of the funnier things in the movie but there's a there's a moment where they they highlight the end credit song and it says off to the side technically in consideration for for best song of the year at the academy awards or something like that so it meets academy requirements somehow yeah Um, that's that's true and i know you have to have some sort of theatrical release for for it to to do that but, uh, yeah, I mean, largely this is a streamer. And uh, I don't know. I that's I kind of wonder. There's a lot of star power here. Obviously, Daniel Radcliffe is a draw. Is going to be a draw for a lot of people, especially younger people who might not be familiar with Weird Al or who might not care. I mean, the whole movie is just chock-a-block with pop culture references. Does it work if you're not very familiar with all of those pop culture references? I don't know. But uh I I, I think it.
0: there's enough just straight I, I mean it's hard for me to to say to totally divorce myself of that because of course these were these are our pop culture references for the most part. you yeah. know this is uh, so it is hard for me to say but I think there's still enough funny just gag gags, just like you know bits for the sake of goofs that yeah, are funny that I I think people will find funny, even if they don't get every deep cut.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's going to reward for those who are intimately familiar with Weird Al and his life and, and, or all of the music and stuff that he's parodying in the movie. But yeah, I think just as a, as a big, silly goof factory, it's sufficient in that. And I think, you know, actually at the time that the original Funnier Die sketch was produced, rock and roll parodies, or not rock and roll parodies, but rock and roll biopics were not as huge as they are now. So in a way... This fits more into what's going on now, you know, because we have the Queen one, which brought it back in a big way, and the Elton John one, um, Elvis, which we haven't announced yet, but is going to be our next streaming homework. Mm -hmm. And so this, like, nestles perfectly into that milieu. I I mean, it's, again,
0: I I think, I think... Say what you will about his writing and his his jokes and that sort of thing. I think Weird Al's secret weapon has always been timing. He's, mm. able, he's able to just sort of latch into the pop culture zeitgeist in a, in a way that could not be entirely coincidental. It can't just be, oh, well, lucky this came out when it did. Like, mm. he's just, you know... I think there's something about him that knows now would be the perfect time to release a biopic like this because of these other movies that are coming out, which you know, they're they're we biopics kind of go through uh, trendiness, you know, like we'll get yeah. a lot of them at one point and then then they get kind of ignored again for a while, and and I I don't know I I think. That is probably the key to him staying relevant. Is is just he's able to to grab onto the right thing at the right time.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly at this moment it was uh, it was perfect. Um, and uh, I know, like I mentioned, the soundtrack for this film re-records a lot of his originals, uh, his original parodies um, that were you know a lot more cheaply recorded when he first did them in the early '80s. Uh, And there's a bunch of new songs that he wrote for the movie as well, so it's worth going online and getting into Weird Al again.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, I recommend the movie. I give it a B plus. a little one note sometimes. Um, It does kind of feel like an extended sketch in a lot of ways, or a series of sketches, but uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I I
0: do get what you're saying in that it, it you can tell it was based off a sketch um mm. but I think I mean it is so hard I think to make a movie based off of just a sketch cuz usually you you mine all the material out for that one sketch that you can yeah uh you know and we've seen it time and time again with failed SNL movies uh so it's not an easy feat, and I think this movie pulls it off really well. I don't think it's one note at all. I think they're constantly kind of throwing new shifts at you. I think it would be one note if the whole movie was supposed to be about how edgy Weird Al was, but that's not really the movie. And And he does have an emotional arc that I think is... You know, even though it's silly, it's, it is, they, I think they pay that off in a way that honors the character and isn't just thrown away for a joke. I'm, I'm giving this an A. I, I think it's, I don't know, maybe I just need more fucking good comedy movies in my life and less Instagram, but, uh, I, I just thought it was a delight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think it has a potential just like, you know, the better SNL movies or even some of the one, mid ones or whatever where the more you watch them, the more just weird little idiosyncrasies kind of stand out to you or you pick out, oh, I didn't notice this thing in the background the last time or, or whatever. There might be like future cult appeal. It's not totally. quite as designed specifically for that as UHF, which is like <laughs> – you know, was upon its original release was a complete flop, but it's since become a a a big cult movie. But it's it's a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Let's transition now into the streaming homework with the film The Day Trippers, which I don't think we actually announced as being the streaming homework because we went a month long into doing our, our horror tour series. Um, but the last movie that I was going to have us watch before we started October was this film, um, which was released in 1996 and is uh, written and directed by Greg Matola, who would later go on to do uh, Adventureland and Superbad. This is his indie debut. Uh, tell us what it's about.
0: Hope Davis is married to Stanley Tucci. They are they're just coming home from a uh, holiday uh, dinner with their family, which by the way, Cassidy, uh, one of those funny uh, nice timing moments because this is a Thanksgiving movie and there are not a lot of Thanksgiving movies out there.
1: I know, yeah. And, I mean, it's like exactly takes place between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. Can't yeah, get more specific uh, than that.
0: Very serendipitous. Um, mm. Anyway, so they come home from a, a family evening for Thanksgiving. Uh, the next day, Stanley Tucci goes to work, and she finds this uh, like mysterious love note behind his dresser. And so she goes to her family played by um and mira is a, is her mother uh pat Mac- mcnamara as her father uh parker posey as her sister and leave schreiber as parker posey's longtime boyfriend um to get advice to find out you know to see if they might know what the note means or if maybe there's uh, so some misunderstanding that she can't see. They all think the note is sus, as the kids would say, <laughs> and are headed into New York City anyway to do some like holiday shopping. Uh, and so they suggest, well, why don't you come with us and stop by his office and and just ask him about it. Find out what's going on. They, they find out that they're kind of on his trail all day long. Um, always kind of just missing him by minutes, but they, you know, they sort of keep hunting him down to get these answers, uh, knowing eventually he'll be at this holiday party. And along the way they sort of, uh, bump into various New Yorkers and, and have these sort of, uh, mini like isolated, um, scenes with various people trying to chase down her husband to get answers. Um, and her family tags along for misadventures in the city.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a road movie. I mean, it's not like a long trip. <laughs> um, like, I think they're probably New Jersey or upstate New York or something like that. So it's not a, a very long road trip, but it is. I sort of functions like a road movie in a lot of ways, and yeah. also it's. A, I mean, it's interesting genre-wise. In my mind, because before seeing this, um, I kind of thought that it was more in the 90s slackery sort of vibe, right? So, in that like post clerks, post days and confused.
0: That's what kind of like all the posters and and publicity
1: material I saw. And a lot of these actors um, were doing a lot of those kind of movies at that time. Uh, but it also, and there is a bit of that for sure, but there's also like another thing going on where it's almost like the proto Little Miss Sunshine type of focus features professional indie.
0: Well, it's, it's a little less angsty than those. The quirky
1: family drama indie.
0: Yeah, it's... It's less slacker, sort of Gen X specific focused, and Mm -hmm. and you know you get sort of a wider range of points of views, and and again, it it just it seemed a little less um, angry than some of those other movies. Uh, Because I know what you're talking about; like it just feels a little.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have these characters are, you know, these aren't they're not wasted youths. You know, yeah. they're young professionals. They're making their way already. They're mm-hmm. already, you know, in some form of – they might not be exactly where they want to be. Like, Leave Schreiber, is, he works construction but sees himself as something like a, an academic. Um, and he uh, is in the middle of writing a novel that he can't wait to tell anybody about. And uh, a bit of a pretentious snob. And Family Tucci is also in the literary world in New York, so he's doing quite well for themselves. And it just so happens that everybody's, like, you know, in the suburbs because because of the holidays. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of this is, like, intergenerational drama. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with how these siblings relate to their parents and, you know, sort of the – the way that they conduct themselves and, you know, how much they're willing to reach out or withhold because of mm-hmm. the style of parenting that they come from.
0: Well, and, and how much of, uh, you know, the their relationship parallels the relationship between the parents and and things like that. Yeah. I, I, this is the first I time am, I, I had seen it. This is the first time?
1: Yeah. I've meant to see it. Because I, I've always thought that, well, I'll, I'll save that for my thing. What did you think?
0: Well, this, this seems like a very you movie. I enjoyed it. I, I was kind of expecting to sort of not be super into it just because I am, you know, sort of past that point in my life where I totally relate to early 20-something slacker stuff. Um, not that I'm not still a slacker, but uh, again, it's just the angst has died down a little bit in my heart. Um, it's it's hardened into cold cynicism now. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I was expecting something more along the lines of like go, uh, base, or um, I don't know, you know, something like that, mm-hmm, just based off of like the poster and and uh, but. I feel like this movie was actually a lot more interested in in subtlety and mm-hmm. interesting character interactions and dialogue. It, it The screenplay feels very... Even though, like you said, it is kind of a road movie, it feels very um, play. Like, yeah. a, a lot of the scenes are very sort of structured like that. Like, they'll be at sort of one location for an extended period of time and in sort of a series of vignettes and each vignette kind of has its own purpose.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You could definitely sort of think about this on terms of what it would look like on a stage. Like it feels the dialogue and the, and the, uh, the rhythm of the, of, of the dialogue and the type of characters and stuff. It feels sort of off Broadway ish.
0: Yeah. It feels kind of literary, because I I think like at first with this movie, I was I was kind of bummed out by the ending uh, because for the most part I was just sort of enjoying the hang of this mm-hmm. movie. like it it feels very um it feels like kind of a family holiday movie, but without being saccharine and annoying. but the more I sort of stewed on it, I I think, the ending was earned, and I was glad that it didn't turn out to be sort of a a, a big. Uh, it, it is sort of a misunderstanding, but it's not the kind of comedy of errors I was expecting from the first act.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, you know, everything's kind of going to come to a head at some point, and however that resolves is however it's going to resolve. And I do think that it is a movie yeah. that's ultimately more about the journey than the destination.
0: Um, oh, for sure, I I agree.
1: I mean, Stanley um, Tucci's in like two scenes. They're very important scenes. He sort of bookends the movie, but yeah, um, but yeah, I I actually really liked the the how they dealt with. The ending and I don't want to give it away because it's kind of the whole. No, no. But yeah, I, I agree
0: with you. I I ended up coming away from it being like, no, that, that is how it needed to end. Like, I Mm -hmm. I think that was, I I, I think it was important. And just because it's kind of a bummer doesn't mean if anything, that means it's probably more effective and actually saying something, uh, you know, a little bit more genuine like i said i i kind of just enjoyed being with these characters uh i you know they're all likable in their own way but also annoying in their own way but the movie doesn't ever make them intolerable mm. um i think they're all just kind of interesting people and it, it because of that it, it you know it felt uh they just felt a little more well drawn than some sometimes you get with uh, this generation of movie.
1: Yeah. You know, it came out in 96. I would imagine it was probably written in 94, or 95 or whatever, but there is, like I said, there's, there's elements of that Gen X slacker indie kind of thing. Um, you know, movies like uh, days and confused in suburbia and, and slacker. I mean, I even thought of specifically slacker because there's, there has that vignette quality to it where we, we have these little interactions with, oh, we're meeting these people who kind of drift in and out of the movie. There's elements of that, but I feel like it's it's a little post that into something more like the early Noah Baumbach films or the early Wes Anderson films or Whit Stillman, you know, where yeah. it's, it's kind of this uh, critique of class dynamics. More so than the, you know, feeling dejected or invisible in in, uh, Generation X or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, the character Lee Schreiber plays is uh, almost presenting that the most because I feel like in a lesser movie, that character would have been taken seriously for his musings and his uh, theories about the world, which are obviously like pseudo intellectual and borderline fascist. Yeah, sometimes. but th-
0: this movie makes a point out of, <laughs> out of out of you know, showing
1: you that Yeah, they call him out. Yeah. But he's yeah, also not it's... like martyred under that either. He's also it's not like he is becomes well, the villain of the movie or anything like that. He is, but he's supposed to kind of be a bozo. Yeah, but it's he's uh, that's what I liked about these characters
0: is they he he is, but he's not so arc as that. you know mm-hmm. he's not so um two-dimensional that uh yeah, like you said, it would have been very easy to just throw his character under the bus um, it, or to present his ideology as sort of the viewpoint of the movie. And I feel like the the script is careful enough and the direction is careful enough. To be more objective than that, mm. it's it's not trying to show you any one person's point of view. It's it's just it's just showing you how these people are together, and that's what I think is interesting about the movie.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think there's also a relationship between how the character is written and the choices that Liev Schreiber makes as an actor. Because totally. I I think you could take that exact same screenplay and hand it to somebody else and their take on that character might be totally different than Le Schreiber's. Yeah. Um, who, yeah who, I, I, who makes that more of an interior character than is even on the page
0: For sure. yeah. Uh, who does a young Le Schreiber remind me of?
1: <laughs> um, young Leve Schreiber, I don't cotton weary. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know. He, he in this movie in particular. Oh, you're like I was just you like somebody you know time, of IRL? No, I maybe. I don't know. I I just the whole time I was like, "Why do you look familiar?" And I know it's not because you're Leave Schreiber because you're Leave Schreiber. <laughs> it was just like driving
1: me mad. I think Anne Mira. I was like is very good in this movie. Um a lot, of, a lot of people probably know of her as Ben Stiller's mom. But uh I think I think that intergenerational thing is even more important in driving home you know, how these ideologies are how serious they should or should not be taken. Um and uh, you know, both her and uh Pat Pat
0: McNamara, Pat which N- I N- I think he does a lot with probably the least amount of dialogue oh, yeah. in the movie and they have such good chemistry and it's, but it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like chemistry when you talk about chemistry of like, oh, they're so good together. They just seem like such a, that generation of married couple. Right. Like they, it, it just, they feel so real. uh But, but again, not in any kind of the, the movie, it comes to these points where it, Almost turns on its characters, each one of them, Mm. and makes them these sort of intolerable caricatures. But the movie isn't interested in moralizing that way. Uh, Even the ending doesn't come to you know a a kind of uh, firm resolution. It's, and that's what I think is really well written about it is each one of these characters has this moment where they're presented as people instead of character.
1: Yep, yeah, I agree. I would say the only, the only character here that doesn't get that treatment is, um, uh, Mark Grapey as the, uh, obnoxious guy. Uh, <laughs> at the, uh, yes. Who, uh, relays his like sex stories in the office and,
0: I agree, but I've also known people who are that annoying. So, sure, I, yeah. and he's a smaller part, so I'll give it a pass.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I, mean, I agree, it's, His- it's, it's a small part of the movie. But yeah, I, I'll, a lot of the actors that he interacts with are kind of on a on on another level, and maybe part of that is because they're allowed to be. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I ended up really liking this movie a lot. And the thing I was going to say is with with Greg Matola um, even going back to like Super Bad, you know, when Apatow started releasing all of those movies under his production company and he directed some of them, but other people directed uh, some of the secondary, tertiary ones. I always thought Matola had the most sense of personality and style that was apart from the Apatow thing. Like, obviously it still catered to that because those were the screenplays mm-hmm. he was working with and the actors. I thought he did with super bad. He turned it into there's the a real visual style to that movie. That's not like any of those other movies. Um, and I think yeah. his direction of that broad dialogue and his sympathy for those characters actually makes them more sympathetic than they would be on page. And, and adventure I always thought was like a really good coming of age movie that uh kind of went under the radar for a lot of people. Um that's why I made a point of at some point trying to see this movie. Sure? Yeah, I I liked it a lot. I think um
0: yeah, I was expecting it to be a little more 90s than it was. And I mean it I mean, certainly it, is, it is, but it does, it's hmm. not But it's not It's not
1: in it's not like MTV pizza breath nineties. It's kind of a different thing. It's a little bit yeah, more elevated. It, it's a little, it's a little more highbrow.
0: Yeah, but without being pretentious or staunchy.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: No, it's it's fun. It's uh, like I said, it was uh, just a lot more um, engrossing and than I was kind of expecting, and uh, uh, you know, a surprisingly. A uh, delightful Thanksgiving find. Have to work it into the rotation with uh, planes, trains, and automobiles.
1: What do you have for us on the next episode for the streaming homework? We did mention it briefly.
0: On the uh, the next episode, we're going to go back a long time ago to earlier this year <laughs> of tw- yeah, and watch uh, Boslerman's Elvis um which is currently streaming on HBO Max. Boz Lerman as a director is interesting and his stuff is uh, is at least worth talking about. So
1: Yeah, and I've been hearing like all, you know, since it came out I've been hearing different things, different reactions about it. So, I mean, I I meant to make a point of catching up with this one before the year was over. If anybody has anything to say It's okay. It's okay to
0: wa- Especially when we're getting to the end of the year, I think it's okay for us to wrap up some of the movies that we wanted to see and didn't get to see. I think that's fine.
1: Absolutely. If anybody has anything to say about any of the movies or opinions that we expressed on this episode or previous, you can do so at our email address, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. We do still have the MacGuffin Twitter still up, so at MacGuffinPod, you can follow us there and see when new episodes are posted, Um, and you can DM us uh, until that site no longer exists. Um, We are also on Instagram, at MacGuffinPod, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at VCCassidy to see the reviews that I write ever so often, for the uh, Idaho State Journal, I have a link there. But you can also follow me or just look it up on Google, Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment. And be sure to read the other reviews and articles by the rest of the McGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. Please leave us a one-star rating and a one-sentence re- or a five-star rating and a one-sentence. Yeah, review. do not
0: leave us a one-star rating. No. What?
1: don't bother if you if you don't like it just move on but if if you could we would really appreciate a five-star rating and or a one-sentence review at any of the podcast apps that allow you to do so itunes uh stitcher spotify any of those and uh what about you what are you on not much
0: uh, right now, I'm just on Instagram. You can follow me at Keith Foster Kid. Um, also, uh, you can follow the improv show that I do. Uh, I run. I'm on their Instagram at the moment at Improv versus Standup. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I'm trying to get less and less online. So just come out to a show. Say hi.
1: Mm-hmm. You're not on. Uh, what are what are some of these new ones? You're not on Mastodon? No,
0: I heard about Mastodon, but it seemed confusing and I'm old enough that I don't want to learn it.
1: Tribal? What? No. Tinder? What
0: is that? <laughs> no. GoDaddy? Alright. Scruff. What? Now you're just making up words.
1: <laughs> Those are all real. And may or may not have been on my phone at various times in my life. Um okay. <laughs> that is the episode.
0: Look, I am not bumping Mendel for Zeppelin, okay? Pass.
1: Bye.